0: Hello and welcome to Episode 5 of Hosted Payload, the satellite and space law podcast. From Wiley Rhine in Washington, D.C., I'm Henry Gola. When Iridium's new Vice President of Regulatory Kara Azakar, agreed last week to join this episode to discuss the movie Wall-E, we did not anticipate how timely it would be, with smoke from Canadian wildfires turning beautiful June skies in the eastern half of the country from blue to the same rusty orange tones of that Pixar classic. On this episode, we'll discuss whether 15 years after its release, WALL-E's ultimate message of hope for our planet holds up. Then my colleague, Peyton Alexander, joins me to break down the latest in satellite and space news in the orbital debrief. Giddy up. All right, welcome back to Hosted Payload. Today, my guest is Kara Azakar. She is Vice President of Regulatory at Iridium Satellite. Kara, welcome to Hosted Payload.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're excited to have you, excited to talk about the 2008 Pixar animated film, Wall-E, which was your choice, Kara. I like it, the first animated film we're discussing on this podcast. So congrats on that honor.
1: I I am honored. It just shows my, uh, my maturity level, I suppose. That's right.
0: That's right. And the fact that you have young kids too, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) That too. Although we rewatched it this weekend and we had seen it previously and they were like, why are we watching this again? And like (laughs) left the room and found another TV. And I was like, this is, this is gripping. It's about orbital debris. Come on.
0: All right, so let me give a brief synopsis of the film, and then we'll get right into it. So uh, the 2008 Pixar animated film WALL-E was directed by Andrew Stanton and written and directed uh, by Stanton and Jim Reardon. 800 years in the future, the trash-collecting and compacting WALL-E is the last robot on Earth. Over this time, he's developed a personality, and he's lonely. Soon, he's visited by the sleek robot EVE who transports him and a plant to a faraway spaceship that's housing what's left of the human race. Wally won the 2009 Oscar for Best Animated Feature and was nominated for Best Original Screenplay, among other Oscar nods. All right, Kara, in FCC parlance, Wally, petition to deny or comments in support?
1: Comments and wow. I guess comments and support.
0: It seems like a tentative comments and support. Tell me why.
1: Well, because there's some like um, there's some pieces of it that I find sort of inaccurate. Okay. Um, so, like for instance, they there's this scene where Wally follows Eve into space to she she's going she or it is going back to, you know, complete its mission. Mm -hmm. And, and Wally is so lonely that he grabs hold of the side of the, the ship that, that eaves in and flies through the atmosphere. And in the process, like a bunch of satellites hit him on the way it on the way up. And, um, there's a few things that are inaccurate about that, uh, that did perturb me a little bit. Um, go on. So first, first of all, the, the space is the, the satellites that hit it, like don't really look like what current satellites look like. And any of the satellites that look like that have since been deorbited one way or another. So there's that. And also it shows them just sort of like floating in the atmosphere, but they would be moving at like a very rapid speed and be like hitting Wally rather than just floating there. So that's the lawyer's version of that science and why it's wrong.
0: I, I hear you. Yeah, it, it, they were just sort of um, in a sort of stasis in in orbit there, and they were whole satellites, right? I mean, I could see some debris floating out there. I don't know if you saw the movie that came out last year or the year before, Don't Look Up. But in that movie, there was also a lot of debris in space, but it was debris. This movie, it was just whole, like, flocks of satellites that were just whole satellites not moving, as you say, or appearing not to move. Um, I also noticed that the spaceship just sort of blasts its way through and is not affected by hitting the satellites. It's almost like they just deflect they they deflect off but i appreciate Kara that you got right to the point on a space and satellite podcast about the satellites that were in this movie so that's kudos to you on that um okay besides that did you find anything else unrealistic about the movie or was the rest of it to your liking
1: I mean it's an animated film. So, it was it was to my liking, but I wouldn't say it was realistic. I think I I liked how it was it was really about like love and friendship more than about sort of it was a very I think kind of especially on a day like you may not be able to see out my window, but like we're on a day in the DC area where it's like terrible air quality. Yeah. because of environmental factors and so it was kind of this sad movie about like what happens if you don't take care of earth and space for that matter um but and so it was solemn in that respect which is probably when my kids were like i don't need to watch this anymore it's a little sad but then it was also about this love between these two robots that like aren't supposed to have personalities but very clearly do and it's It's interesting. There's these moments where each of them have no personality at all. Right. Where like I think at some point, like um, Wally gets reprogrammed. Eve saves saves Wally, and Wally gets reprogrammed, and and Wally comes back and has no personality, and it's this like sad moment. And same thing with Eve. In the beginning, Eve is like just doing Eve's job, and then over time, Wally gets to Eve, and and become Eve becomes more personal. I liked those aspects of it. I thought that was nice. Yeah.
0: Um, I found, and I'll ask you about this too, but I found like post COVID after everything we went through personally and as a society, that the aspect of like Wally longing for touch, right? That's all he wants. He wants to hold someone's hand the whole movie was kind of, it kind of took on a new meeting watching that again now in 2023 than maybe it had in 2008. Did you, did you find that as well?
1: Yeah, I did. That's a very good point. And I forgot about that because their hands like don't really even like fit together. Right. And Eve is this like bot that's like a totally cylind- cylind- cylindrical shape. And like doesn't really come out except when it has a function to do so. And all Wally wants to do is like get Eve's hand out so that he can hold it. And it was that longing for personal connection that we, we lost for that, like whatever, 18 months, two years, three years, whatever you want to call it during COVID. So I totally agree.
0: You know, Pixar movies, I find, um, they're not, I think your kids are, are not alone, and mine were the same way. They did not want to watch this again, and they've, they've seen it, but they liked it. It wasn't like, I don't like this movie. It was just like, I've seen it, and I'm not sure I want to watch it again. And I always felt the same way about Up. I don't know if you've seen the movie Up, but that is also... You know, it's also not one you want to watch a lot because it's so, uh, like, it's such a tearjerker um, and so, like, you know, heavy, I guess. Um, and this one, I, I kind of felt the same way. So, do you think this is a hopeful movie, a depressing movie, or
1: both? Oh, there are points of it that are very depressing. But I think it ends hopeful when the humans, like, So the humans are also like my children are with screens. Like they just are like programmed after all these, I forget how many years they had been on that ship at that point.
0: 700. But it had,
1: they had been on the ship for 700 years. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, and they were in these chairs and just sort of floating around and they were drinking all their food and they had screens right in front of their face. And there's a point at which Wally crashes into one and they fall out and they realize that like what's around them. And so I found it to be this hopeful, and, and the the ship's captain, when Eve brings back the plant at first is like, I've been on autopilot for 700 years. What do you mean that I have to steer the ship somewhere or return to Earth? I don't even right. know what Earth looks like. And there's this conflict between the people on the ship and the robots on the ship that I feel like is not to... Not to bring it back to, you know, law and policy, part of the current debate with AI as well, with artificial intelligence, like, and how it's sort of uh, humans having the the minds versus robots having the minds. And so I found it hopeful because in the end, the humans went out and they returned to Earth and they plant plants on Earth and start to, like, recopulate it. So I found the ending very hopeful, but much of the movie is very depressing.
0: Yeah. That's for sure. You know the AI in this movie, uh, Auto Autopilot, is is a kind of obvious callback to HAL in two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. He's got the red eye, he's piloting the ship. Um, but they're they're a little different. You know, HAL in two thousand one sort of develops human traits for for survival, right? And Auto in this movie. You can kind of think of it the same way, right? He's trying to, or whatever, it is trying to survive because without the ship continuing on, he has no job, right? And also, likewise, he's also just continuing his mission. His He was told not to go back to Earth at some point, right? And then he kind of sabotages the whole deal. So... AI is never really presented as a good guy in movies, though. You look at like the ter- <laughs> the Terminator, this movie, two thousand one. Um, it's 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 rarely presented as as something that's that's beneficial <laughs> for humankind. Maybe that'll change over time in movies. We'll see.
1: I f- I think Otto was like a complicated AI, and I do I do think there was like a belief that. Otto had a belief that it was keeping the humans safe because there was that video where the former leader on earth said, don't return, but it was like seven, 699 years ago. Right. Uh, it had been so long that, um, so I, I, think that that's, it just, it just indicates one of the problems with the fact that that intelligence is artificial is the inability to make judgment calls.
0: That's right. That's a great point. Alright, so part of Wally's charm is that he collects and saves random bits of trash like a spork and a Twinkie that, you know, humorously survives for seven hundred years and can <laughs> still be eaten. So if you had the choice of a few objects to stow away on a remote part of the planet, what would you keep?
1: Oh, that's a hard question. I guess they have to be things that would keep for 700 years, right? That's
0: right. That's true. Um, But not even for 700 years. What what would you take with you if you had like three things?
1: Um, For sure, a photograph of my family.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I don't know. A a piece of jewelry that reminds me of like, you know, something else to do with family. And, And I would probably take like a piece of food like the Twinkie just to see how long it survives. Like a McDonald's chicken nugget.
0: That's very scientific of you that that despite, you know, you're the last person on Earth and you're taking things somewhere that you would still do a science experiment to to benefit. (laughs) I'm
1: not really a things person, to be totally honest. So none of that. I just assume like if I lost everything tomorrow, like what would be the most important thing to me? Uh, and so I'd probably want to know if I was to save something, like what would happen to the things that I, I keep rather than, you know, like I'd be curious, like what happened to that photograph over the years? Like how yeah. would it change? Would it totally deteriorate or would there still be something to it? Um, and same with like a stone or a jewelry, like, a some sort of precious stone, like, will it keep forever?
0: So I thought about this question too, because I, I, I wasn't going to, I thought it was an unfair question to spring on you without answering it myself. Good. I I appreciate that. I also also came up with a photograph, but then the other, the other thing I thought of was like taking something to play music that wouldn't need power, like an old phonograph or something and a record. So I could like hear music right at, at some point and what would, it might get boring to hear the same thing over and over again. Um, but it would be something. The okay. music
1: one, though, not to interrupt you, is interesting yeah. because in the movie Wally, he has like cassette tapes, which I thought was interesting that it's a 2008 movie and they didn't do DVDs, probably because they would have gotten scratched um, <laughs> or, <laughs> right. or something like that, uh, or like an iPad that he found power for, but instead they had like VHS tapes and yeah. Wally was listening to the songs in them and learning about love and people through them. Yeah. So it's interesting that you chose music because that was something very important in the Wally movie as well. It was.
0: It, it was it was very important to Wally. He had that old tape, I guess it was Hello Dolly. Um and I read like I, I'm not a theater buff by any stretch of the imagination. And I guess the song that they played in the movie is not even like one that's like famous from that from that musical. Um so that was uh an, an interesting choice and kind of speaks to the randomness of what he was just going around and, and finding. Um you know, uh, Wally gets a lot of credit because the first 20 minutes have no dialogue, right? It's almost like a silent, mm-hmm. it's a silent movie. I found it very peaceful. What did you think about that first 20 minutes? I mean, it's, depre- again, depressing. You're looking at sort of like a hellscape of Earth. But it's also peace. It's not like a typical animated movie with like, you know, pop songs and, you know, zooms and you know uh sound effects right it was very sort of uh like I said peaceful how about you what what did you think of that
1: I thought that was the depressing part of the movie (laughs) (laughs) I didn't find peace in that at all but I like that you did it is quiet and thoughtful and very pensive um so I can see why peaceful is a word you would consider I just thought it was sad like he He it I keep calling Wally a he and Eve a she, but they don't really have genders. Um, So I don't know why I do that. So I apologize. But uh, so Wally like goes by all of these like dead Wally's. Right. Because clearly there had been like many Wally's that had come to clean up earth and Wally was the only one left. And he goes by all the dead ones. That one was really quite upsetting to me. And he like takes off like pieces of the old, of the other wallies so that, so that the Wally that's on, that's, that's alive can like stay on. Like he replaces his eye. He replaces his, his like wheels on his bottom.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: The tread. Yeah, exactly. So
0: yeah, I I I, I, don't think it's, I don't, I I don't think it's like a slip or anything to call them, them he or she, because they are sort of the most human characters in the movie right they're more human than the humans right they have more they show more emotion and have more uh like zest for life you might even say than the humans until the very end right until the humans sort of you know get up out of their chair and the captain makes makes the big move to to bring him back to earth okay so uh, i'm gonna guess that wally is not your favorite pixar movie ever if maybe it is, but, but what is, if it's not,
1: that's a good question. Is sing a Pixar movie?
0: Sing is by the rival dreamworks folks, like the guys, the the folks who do like uh, minions and and that stuff. That's what Uh, I thought.
1: Okay. So then it's the one, what's the one that's about the emotions
0: inside out
1: that one. That's my favorite. Inside
0: Out is really really good and my kids will watch that over and over and that one is just as sad um when the imaginary friend uh sort of <laughs> sacrifices himself Pixar man they uh they they uh they make it emotional when you watch a movie for for parents and kids so <laughs> they don't make any-
1: It's true It's true and I saw Inside Out like I didn't have kids at that time I just decided to watch it um and it's still like when I have moments where like a particular, I picture those, the like different feelings. Like I, I it's like very impressionable on me.
0: Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Like I love the anger character and I love the end cause we have cats and dogs and I love the end when the cat is on the, on the control panel and just hitting things. Like, I think that's hysterical. So, yep. all right. Any last thoughts on Wally?
1: No, uh, no, but I want to hear what your favorite Pixar film is.
0: My favorite, my favorite Pixar film is probably Toy Story 1 or 2. Um, I actually saw Toy Story in high school. And I wrote a review for my high school newspaper, and I gave it five stars. I remember that to this day. And then I got made fun of by my classmates for (laughs) for giving an animated movie such a good review. But I really, I I thought it was, I thought it was so, at the time, and it still is, I thought it was so, like, uh, ingenious and innovative in terms of, like, an animated movie kind of having adult themes um, so that one has stuck with me. Um, I love Inside Out. I love most of them. I thought Soul was great. Um, I'm looking forward to the new one that's coming out this summer. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Pixar stan for sure. So <laughs> me,
1: me too. You've made a friend, so that's good.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Kara. I really appreciate you joining uh, this latest episode of Hosted Payload.
1: Thank you for having me
0: all right and welcome in to the orbital debrief joining me again to tell you everything you need to know in space and satellite law is my colleague peyton alexander peyton welcome back
2: thanks henry it's great to be back on the show
0: well the environment is on the mind of many with smoke from canadian wildfires polluting the air across much of the east coast but peyton let's talk about what's going on with government activity regarding the environment in space
2: absolutely so as i'm as i'm sure our listeners are aware uh recent years have witnessed the authorization of constellations of thousands of new satellites as companies race to provide internet connectivity and other services from space to the whole surface of the planet uh and traditionally the national environmental policy act or nepa uh, has not been applied to activities in space by the fcc But back in November, the Government Accountability Office released a report discussing how the FCC considers the environmental effect of these large constellations and specifically how it determines whether licensing them uh, is excluded from NEPA.
0: Okay, so what did the GAO recommend in that report? So the
2: GAO report makes three major recommendations to the FCC. And the first one is that they said the FCC needs to review whether licensing these large constellations of satellites usually doesn't have significant effects on the human environment. The second is GAO recommends the FCC establish a time frame and a process for periodic review of this exclusion of these constellations under NEPA. And the final recommendation is GAO wants the FCC to identify the factors that they'll consider when determining in the future if an extraordinary circumstance is present when reviewing these licenses for large constellations.
0: Got it. So has the FCC taken action yet? What's been their response?
2: Not yet. As of now, the FCC has not taken action. However, Chairwoman Rosen did indicate in a recent letter to Congress that the FCC is likely going to review its exclusion of large satellite constellations from NEPA, uh, including whether to establish a timeframe and a process for periodic review of that exclusion
0: all right well that will be a rulemaking with major import for satellite operators if the fcc takes it on Uh, moving on it looks like last tuesday the state department released a strategic framework for space diplomacy tell us more about this
2: yeah so this is actually a first of its kind outline of how the department will advance u.s space leadership it's focused on three pillars Uh, one is advancing space policy through diplomacy Uh, Two, using space policy to advance wider diplomatic goals. Uh, And three, empowering the department workforce, their staff, uh, on tools for engaging with space policy. So the framework also emphasizes international cooperation in specific areas, like using remote sensing uh, satellites for climate change, arm control, uh, and economic
0: competitiveness. Sounds like an important goal and one that hopefully we could build on to cooperate for remote sensing to stay on top of these wildfires.
2: Yeah, I I think that's exactly the kind of thing they have in mind.
0: All right. Back to our home agency, the FCC. The commission is now seeking comment on everyone's favorite time of year, regulatory fees and how much you have to pay. Can you walk us through the background on this?
2: Sure. So the FCC's regulatory fee system is designed to offset the cost of regulating the wide range of industries that they regulate. So these fees are paid by the regulated entities. And the idea is that the fees should be proportional uh, to the benefit that the industry receives from the regulation. So for instance, a satellite company providing commercial remote sensing doesn't pay for the time and effort the agency spends
0: regulating robocalls, for example. But even though I'm sure nobody likes to get robo called,
2: Right, right. But the FCC has traditionally considered not just the general benefit to the public uh, in the context of distributing the cost of regulatory fees, but specifically the benefit to each industry or kind of regulated entity.
0: Okay, so what is new in this year's notice of proposed rulemaking on reg fees for space and satellite companies?
2: So we're breaking a lot of new ground. Um, In recent years, the FCC has been exploring ways to foster the development of in-space servicing, assembly, and manufacturing, or ISAM. And that includes on-orbit servicing, or OOS, missions, as well as rendezvous, proximity, and docking operations, or RPO. Uh, These are all really new, exciting developments promised to revolutionize the space sector, allowing us to do things like repairing and repositioning satellites on orbit, manufacturing tools and equipment in space. Uh, and even assembling new spacecraft and space infrastructure off Earth. Uh, So here what the FCC is asking is whether these operations fit into existing regulatory fee categories or if maybe new categories would be more appropriate.
0: Gotcha. The old square peg in the round hole. So why is this such a tough nut to crack?
2: Well, so ICM is hard to pin down because we don't really know what the industry is going to look like yet. It's still in its infancy. The typical mission profile could resemble that of a geostationary satellite or a non-geostationary satellite, which each have their own fee category, or it could involve a lot of on-orbit movement, Vehicles switching locations, altitudes, inclinations, even flying back and forth from geostationary to non-geostationary orbit. So because NGSOs and GSOs pay different regulatory fees, as do small sats and other kinds of satellites, uh, the FCC is seeking more comment on how we're going to slot ISAM into all of this.
0: Gotcha. So when uh, does industry have to submit their comments by?
2: So comments are due on the NPRM next Wednesday, June 14th, and reply comments are due two weeks after that on June 29th.
0: All right. Terrific. Peyton, thank you so much for the orbital debrief and these three things we need to know. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for joining Episode 5 of Hosted Payload. For all your satellite and space law needs, look us up at Wiley.law.